Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I'm John Negroni from the Internet, California, and back from Istanbul with the eccentric mustache and Charles Dickens novel to prove it, it's Will Ashton. There's some intros I do like and some I don't. This is a good intro. I like this one. I like this I like this persona you've given me. For the OCD in Will Ashton, yeah, com- comparing yeah. you to the legendary Perot is... Yeah. No, just the mustache. I mean, I, I mean that alone is <laughs> what excites me. Guys, we have a special first-time guest this week. I'm so excited. Coming to us live from the suburbs of Sacramento with a pink cast on one arm and Lucas Hedges on the other, it's Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. I am very uh, happy to be compared to uh, the lovely Shersha. Absolutely. I'm so, so happy you're here, Kristen. Uh, and taking some time out of, uh, you're at AFI Fest, American Film Institute. Uh, thanks for squeezing us in. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Glad to do it. Uh, for people who aren't aware of your work, uh, what are some of your bylines? Um, I am a, what I consider a freelance, I call myself a freelance pop culture writer, which is essentially just overworked and underpaid. Um, occasionally, there's, uh, there's a lot of cool things, but yeah. Underpaid is one of them, um, but I have been fortunate to be published on Pace Magazine, um, Film School Rejects, Flavor Wire, Shondaland. Uh, I write regularly for Remezcla, so if you like uh, Coco or Jane the Virgin, then you've probably read something I've written. I am I am everywhere, so uh, predominantly right now I'm covering AFI Fest for the young folks. Awesome, yeah. I just yeah. Uh, I just started writing for the young folks. And so, uh, awesome. yeah, they yeah, got they got me here. So to AFI, so I owe them I owe them a kidney or a hug or a drink or something or all three. Uh, so oh, how wow. how's the AFI Fest going? Like, can you talk about it yet? Like some of the stuff? oh, it's it's only been two days. Um, so uh, today I've seen thirty movies. <laughs> today is my first full fest day, so I get to I'm running around all day today trying to uh, squeeze in some stuff. Uh, the, the day before, I, or the first day, I got to see Mudbound, which was amazing. Uh, last night, I covered the red carpet for Call Me By Your Name, uh, a movie that I've been waiting with bated breath to see since January. Uh, so it was everything I wanted. And apparently, like, the cast and filmmaker and I are friends because last night they all stopped and specifically asked if, if, I, if it was worth the wait. And I was like, yes. A, of course you're going to say yes because yeah. they're all standing in front of you. Um, but, but also I was just really happy. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. I don't know how today is going to go with uh, trying to squeeze in at least – at least three movies um, and a red carpet and a discussion. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to like take a nap or drink copious amounts of, of caffeine or something just to get it all in. And the next week I get to go from AFI Fest to Disneyland for a vacation. So I'm, I'm like a world traveler. Yeah. Well, you're a true cinemaholic clearly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Looking forward to, don't forget guys, like, you can always follow Kristen on Twitter and you can find yeah. all these updates, all your AFI updates too, and reviews and all that cool stuff. Yeah. At journeys underscore film is my Twitter. So you can see me freak out about last night. I posted pictures. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to chart this journey on there. For sure. Well, we have a really good episode ahead of for you guys. We're just doing two movies, but we're going to spend a lot of time digging into them. We're going to start off with Lady Bird, the latest A24 film written, directed by Greta Gerwig. Uh, very excited about to talk about that movie. We kind of teased it last week. And afterward, we're going to talk about Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, that is the latest 20th Century Fox film based on the Agatha Christie novel. Uh, we aren't doing mini reviews this week, unfortunately. Um, we are saving a few of them for next week. But uh, we, we do want to get into a couple of extra things this week. So, uh, But for now, let's, let's talk about... Uh, I don't, I don't want to bury the lead here. I want to get right into... Uh, our big movie uh, news, which so a lot of like this last probably like week, maybe two weeks has been insane for Hollywood, for just culturally and movie news and uh, scandals. And, uh, you know, actually it started with this crazy uh, Disney boycotting the LA times story that happened. 
uh, Will Kristen, you guys, are you guys following that story? And, yeah, uh, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I was gonna say, Kristen, because you're like there, you know, like right, right in LA. So yeah, it's been. Uh, you know, I, I do a podcast called Citizen Dame with a group of, of women trying to talk about Hollywood from a female perspective. And when, when we started the podcast, we had like stars in our eyes. We were thinking we were going to talk about, you know, film from a feminist lens and it's going to be great. And we came out the week that the Harvey Weinstein allegations came out. And so it's been eight weeks of us slowly becoming just demoralized. And so this last episode we did, we were like, well here's our segment that we're just going to start calling trash men. Um, so, so it's been, it's been hard. And, and here at AFI, you know, I haven't been asking celebrities, you know, cause they're the ones taking a risk on the red carpet to come out here. And so I haven't asked them, you know, questions, but I've seen so many reporters be like, how do you feel about these allegations against, you know, Kevin Spacey or whoever the new, you know, celeb du jour is uh, in the last couple of hours and I just I, I feel horrible for the, the cast of, of so many of these movies who are unrelated to any of this, who just have to answer now. So it's been it's been horrible. <laughs> it's such a hard situation because with, like you said, Kevin Spacey, uh, now people are outright dismissing uh, movies that he's been in, movies that people love. And if uh, I dropped his his film <laughs> from closing night, all the money in the world was going to be the closing night of AFI. And yeah. Hold it, and now they're going to actually like redo his entire performance and put Christopher Plummer in there. So it's it's Which in insane. that case, yeah. At least like yeah. the movie will come out. Yeah, yeah. It they're still pushing for that December twenty second release, which I, mean, I have no idea how that's going to happen. But <laughs> it literally, is just the plot of Bo- BoJack Horseman at this point. Yeah, um, I mean, I think they said that Kevin Spacey shot his stuff in eight to ten days initially. And I know that Ridley Scott does have a reputation for being like super fast. Like when he shoots, like kind of the same with Clint Eastwood, he just is very productive and he can just shoot a movie. movie Show it. I know. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But um, I don't know. I mean, I would say if there's anyone who could probably pull this off, it's Ridley Scott. But I mean, that I I just feel bad for like the post-production people are just going to have to like scavenge this all together. And I mean, I and just of course, it's like, at least. most of all, we feel really bad for the victims because it's just, well, of like, course, of course. You know, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a given, but it just, yeah, important to, you know, to repeat. Yeah, the, the Kevin Spacey allegations out of all of these things, out of every single, because like my friend and I, my friends and I were talking, like we have a list at this point of people that would make us like leave Hollywood or consider our like careers. So far, nobody on my list has been called out and I'm hoping hoping that they are you know decent men in this in this whole thing uh, but the the spacey allegations are the ones that like hurt my heart personally because you know john knows i'm a disney fan i'm a huge disney fan and i can tell you that the person that got me to appreciate movies was kevin spacey watching a bug's life and watching american beauty relatively within the same time which the two <laughs> movies have nothing whatsoever to do together except that he's in them i mean as a as a young person watching film like i was just taken by him and i thought he was just a, a great example of an amazing actor and when this came out like i felt personally like like he had personally like offended me specifically and you know, I'm a, I'm a film writer. Like, I know all about persona and how actor, actors, by definition, have a public face and a private face. Like, and now I'm just at the point where I feel stupid that I bought into his his BS. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's making, like, us as moviegoers feel very, very conflicted and realizing that these guys, you know, these people have a public face and a private face that we know nothing about, you know, both of them. And that's, that's very frightening now. It is, it is. And like on the positive, it is something that is happening more. Like it's a domino yeah. effect. Like people are being held accountable for this for the first We're time. And I'm trying to be hopeful. Like, exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to be hopeful that like this kind of thing is going to end. Right. And like people who come after us as like film writers and film lovers, you know, are going to grow up with fewer of these problems. You know, I'm just being, I guess hopeful, but uh, hopefully that's not misguided. And I wanted to bring up too, like Louis C.K. is the most recent uh, one. Yeah. And Kevin Spacey really hit me hard, a bit harder, um, especially because his reaction to everything and just how he went about it was awful. It's so terrible. Uh, Louis C.K. did own up to it, but I mean the consequences are real. Like this, so for those of you who don't know, so, um, we're not really describing these stories very well. But uh, 
Uh, the thing with Kevin Spacey was that he, uh, he it was it came out that he was accused of uh, trying to rape. Uh, I think it was a teenager, fourteen year old Anthony Rapp. Yeah, so this was like a decade ago or twenty years ago, and uh, he he tried to defend himself by coming out of the closet and tried to deflect, and it was just. Uh, the LGBT community was not having it. Uh, he did not get away with that. And with Louis C.K., he's being accused by, at this point, I believe five women uh, for uh, exposing himself in front of them and doing other acts that I can't say to keep this a family podcast. Right. But uh, And this is having a real effect on his movies, too, because uh, I Love You, Daddy, which was supposed to be coming out next week. That's Louis C.K.'s next film. That's getting dropped now by The Orchard. Yeah, and, and oddly enough, um, I'm part of Online Film Critics Society, and our screener packs from The Orchard included that movie. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah we have collector's items now. Yeah, yeah, and like that movie was about, you know, it was supposed to be about like Woody Allen and how, you know, creepy relationships between older men and young women, and uh, yeah, just like crazy amount of irony. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's very, it's very, um, interesting how how films at this point you know there's there's rumors going around from what i have been told that screeners are being very delayed because of the fact that they don't know how whether whether an actor is going to be accused or a director or something like that um i mean you know the whole the whole thing is just crazy but i I think what people tend to forget is how this has been going on in hollywood for since its foundations i mean Mm -hmm. Louis B. Mayer, Daryl Zanuck, those were powerful men that we were open secrets in terms of their conduct. So I'd like to think that we've come so far from, you know, the 1930s, but I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, at least I just look at it, too, from last year's perspective, where you had, I think, two high-profile movies, uh, Birth of a Nation and Manchester by the Sea. And the difference between last year and this year is like one of those movies went on to be successful and, you know, right. And Birth of a Nation was, uh, you know, it did not work out for Nate Parker. And then, but Casey Affleck won an Oscar uh, and yeah. then Gibson with Hacksaw Ridge, you know, so, but then this year it just feels like there's more accountability going on. Uh, I think like Hollywood's getting more serious because people are, are making them take this stuff more seriously. I hope that's really the case. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping, you know, but if you're on film Twitter, you know, the, the Woody Allen and, and Roman Polanski people are still out there. Oh, and yeah. that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. You know, we, we the condemnation is is great, but I'm still kind of like vacillating between. Well, yeah, but these guys have gotten away with their crimes or alleged crimes for so long. And, you know, I, I've heard there's I've heard rumors there are still several more prominent people that are going to be exposed. Some some supposedly there is a rumor that there is a huge one that that could be like sh- like shake Hollywood to its foundations. I, I don't know if that's just, you know, a rumor or something's going to happen. I, I don't think the bottom has has fallen out yet. Yeah, we'll see. I've, I heard a rumor for a couple other people a few weeks ago, and that hasn't happened yet. So who knows? Yeah, uh, yeah we won't we won't speculate. Um, let's just yeah. yeah. But okay, so I feel like we we've, we've covered it sort of. I, I wish we could talk more about this subject, but it, it is still ongoing. So we'll we'll check in from time to time um, because you know it, it's really important to the show because it a impacts the movies we see and b because you know I don't want to be part of something that is just like ruining people's lives right like for the name of entertainment it's not worth it and uh we should call it out whenever we have a chance amen <laughs> but on a on a more positive note let's talk about a movie that, that is uh rolling out in theaters it should be hitting more uh limited release theaters uh by the time you're listening to this and the weeks ahead uh ladybird from a24 uh this film i have been looking forward to for quite a while uh mainly because it comes from one of my favorite actresses and screenwriters, uh, Greta Gerwig, who, uh, this is her directorial debut, actually. Whoa, and, uh, uh, yeah. solo directorial debut. Because she co-directed a film with Joe Swanberg in 2008 called Nights and Weekends. But, I don't know, it's kind of a weird definition. Yeah, it's yeah. I would say, like, this, it's all on her, and, like, in interviews, she's been... Right, yeah, it's solo directorial vocal, debut. Like, this is it, yeah. yeah. Um, that said, uh, so this movie stars, and I... I I've always pronounced her name Cersei Ronan. Uh, I feel like I'm saying that wrong. Is that true, Kristen? It's, it's Shersha. Shersha. Okay. Shersha. 
Shersha. <laughs> um, so Shersha Ronan, uh, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, Lucas Hedges. Uh, this is this is a crazy good cast. Uh, oh, and Beanie Feldstein from uh, I think she was in one of the Neighbors movies. I want to say. Um, but yeah, so yeah, this, yeah, too. Neighbors too. Uh, okay, I, yeah, I was. My memory was failing me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this movie, this uh, it premiered at the Telluride Film Festival just a few months ago, and it's been on a lot of our radars ever since. So Lady Bird takes place in the early 2000s, and is about a young girl. She goes to a Catholic school, and she wants everyone to call her Lady Bird. That's not her given name. It's the name that was given to her by her. This movie follows her life, her relationships, especially with her mother living in Sacramento. This is a coming-of-age tale through and through. So starting with you, Kristen Lopez, what did you think of Lady Bird? Um, Lady Bird is currently my number one favorite movie of the year. Um, I will I will say that. I loved everything about it. Um, and I'm not just saying that because Greta Gerwig premiered it in Sacramento and she was there and I've met her and she's a delight. Um, but, you know, she really captures too often when when directors or screenwriters write about teenagers it often sounds like that Steve Buscemi, you know, high fellow kids meme. Yeah. It just seems like they're trying to capture the the zeitgeist. Um, I think of, it's a movie I love, but I think of how it's been dated. Um, Diablo Cody's Juno, the script for Juno, you know, um, which can feel very like, that's not how kids are talking. Um, and Greta Gerwig taps into something that is different. I have not, I can't tell you the last time a movie captured emotions about my past that felt so keen you know the the concept of growing up in in sacramento and wanting to believe that life is happening somewhere else um i still feel that and i I still live there um you know the the concept of growing up specifically in 2002 to 2003 which is where this movie takes place and you know dealing with your mother and having to realize that your home life isn't, you know, as secure as you thought it was and, you know, falling in love with the the right, you know, the wrong boys um, and, and what that means. So, you know, there's a moment in the movie where her and Beanie Feldstein are listening to Dave Matthews band crash into me while crying. That that is encapsulates everything I love about this movie, because I can tell you it wasn't the same song. But I've had that moment with a different song and my best friend. And she taps into so many things. It's not about capturing the dialogue. It's not about capturing the, oh, hey, remember that thing in 2002, you know, that that makes you go to that time period. It's capturing the emotions and the situations that that transcend time. Um, It's it's utterly a timeless movie. And I, I loved every single thing about it. I absolutely agree with you, especially when it comes to this movie being very timeless. I really don't think this movie would have worked if it had been set in present day, but because it's 2002, 2003, it totally, totally worked for me in uh, getting sucked in. But, uh, you know, I saw this movie with Maverick Hines. Maverick couldn't make it to the show today. But, you know, he had a hard time connecting with this movie. He didn't love it. Oh, really? Yeah, which I found weird because I connected pretty easily with this film, even though I didn't you know relate directly with any of the characters like i didn't i've never gone through a lot of the things that they went through for some reason i still was invested uh, it was a clever trick that ghetto gurig pulled off here the, there's going to be that rare chance when someone's not going to quite connect although uh, there's a character in the movie named kyle uh who quite literally was maverick in high school like <laughs> so like w- literally he popped the first time every time he popped up on the screen i was like matt like that's you man that's just I hate to say it, like this bass player, high school band, just like, yeah, lady killer, but not really. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, is that I got asked on Twitter, what team would I have been in high school? Would I be, there's Lucas Hedges' character, who is Danny, who is like a theater nerd, like really sweet. There's a twist to his character that's very obvious, but, you know, it, you still get that that emotion from his character. And then there's Kyle. And I told my friends, I'm like, I hate to admit it, but I'd have been Team Kyle. I'd have, I'd have lost my shit over him <laughs> um, because he's just he's very pretentious. He had great hair. Um, and when I met, I 
I got to talk to Timothy Chalamet last night and I told him, I was like, I beat team Kyle. And, and I think he thought that I meant because like he, I'm still, I was in front of him, but no, no, like I hate to say it, but I, I would have <laughs> in high school. Just being honest. Yeah. Uh, all right. Will Ashton, uh, what did yep. you think of lady bird? You just saw this one too as well. Yeah. I just saw it yesterday morning and you know, like you guys, I just love this movie, the pieces it's, I mean, just going off of Chris and what Chris was saying, it's what makes this movie so beautiful to me is how, like you guys were saying, authentic it feels and vibrant. It just, when you walk into this movie, you just feel like you're in this world. And it's not like a film, you know, like a Marvel film where you're going into this huge, expansive world. It's like a very enclosed uh, time and place, but it does feel like you guys said timeless and, you know, you can place yourself in this. And uh, I mean, I, I honestly think this is probably if not the best, certainly one of the best scripts this year, just because everything about it just rings so true. And, I mean, you could tell, like, I mean, she's worked with um, Mike Mike Mills on 20th Century Women and, and um, oh, what's, uh, Noah Baumbach, I think that's also her partner. Uh, okay. You can feel their influence in the film. You can also kind of feel, like, the a little bit of, like, the free flow of, like, a Joe Swanberg film. But at the same time, it's totally her own film. You can feel, you know, if you... Uh, are not super familiar with Greta Gerwig, you know it's like a Greta Gerwig film, and that's an incredible accomplishment to do for your first film. And, I mean, even though we've seen how many great performances from Charche Ronan, this, I think, is her best, just because, I mean, it's never for one second I think of this as a performance. It just felt like I was watching this girl named Lady Bird who was going through life uh, at a very pivotal moment in her uh, uprising. And it's, I, I mean, I would just sing the praises with you guys all day it's just a beautiful movie a wonderful gem really all I, the way through i was worried going into it because of like i, I was worried that shersha roman ronan uh, i was gonna remember her other performances i was gonna be like you know grand budapest hotel and uh, more recently like brooklyn i was like mm-hmm. i i was worried that i wasn't gonna buy her as a teenager again you know mm-hmm. uh could not be more wrong on that front um she she nailed it i it, i really felt like and they they did such little touches with her character too to make her feel more authentic. Little things like letting her have acne. When was the last time you had like a teenager yeah. in a movie have acne? You know, and just take that risk of like, no, let let let's show these people like as they are. And I, I thought that was beautiful. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the movie too. I, the, the things that got me the most. Um, there were a lot of gut punches in this movie. Uh, there's a big gut punch uh, with Lucas Hedges' character that really took me by surprise in a good way. And I, I don't know, like, it was such a fast movie, right? Not a bad way. Like, mm-hmm. it was always just, like, going right through stuff. Uh, it was going from, like, scene to scene, season to season, but it never felt rushed for some reason, which I, I, I still am trying to figure out. I want to see it again to try to better understand why. And uh, as far as, like, the coming-of-age tale goes, like, this is the movie that I wanted Edge of 17 to be, which is not a movie I dislike, but... You know, that was a movie that also was trying to capture this, like, really tricky time, being 17, and, uh, you know, the yearning, the longing of, of those years. But I, for some reason, I, I really bought it here in a way that uh, I think is uh, I think is partly true because Credit, Credit Gerwig herself, like, you can tell this movie, uh, well, A, is very, like, in some ways autobiographical. Like, she claims that, you know, it isn't, like, a lot of stuff in here didn't really happen. But right. she she's just trying to like I think she calls it like the emotional truth or the emotional core, and uh, the fact that it takes place in Sacramento too, which is uh, where she grew up, and she she said that like not enough movies take place in Sacramento, which I think Kristen would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the last the last movie I know that took place in Sacramento, and I I don't know I'm I doubt they actually film there is um, the Catherine Heigl movie The Ugly Truth. I know that they're oh. that was set in Sacramento, and I know American Beauty. The ending scene of the film, um, the aerial shot, that's Sacramento. That's about it. Um, well, there's a movie that movies, came out last year that was in Sacramento, but I, the other something, the other, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm blanking on it. It might be the other other woman, or I don't know. I, there was something, and it, it was in Sacramento, but I don't think they shot the film there. Yeah, a lot of movies don't shoot in Sacramento, um, and and there's a push to get more filming there, tax credits and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, Greta Gerwig, I remember when she actually was filming in Sacramento because I tried 
very hard to get somebody to go down with me to where they were filming because I wanted to see if I could like become best friends with Shirley Ronan um, casually uh, by going down there. And I mean, Greta Gerwig really commits to showing Sacramento. Um, she was telling a story at the um, director's kind of Q and A that she did about how people from other countries, you know, she, she showed this in London and they had never been to Sacramento and they still, there's a part where um, Lady Bird is asked where she's from and she says Sacramento, but then when they ask again, she says San Francisco. And they were like, oh, you know, this, this person in London told Greta, you know, that really hurt me. You know, I've never even been here. He's like, because, yeah. you know, she she focuses on showing not just Sacramento. So like, you know, the beautiful houses, there's a, a house um, that, that Lady Bird loves. It's in a place called the Fabulous Forties in Sacramento. That's just, you know, very affluent, beautiful houses. Christmas time. That's the time in the neighborhood to go to if you come to Sacramento. Um, but she looks at the, the lesser parts of Sacramento, like Thrift Town, uh, the thrift shop here, um, it's not just kind of like the, the the bridge into Old Sac that a lot of people like to, to use for their movies. Um, and there's a lot of humor that's only going to play if you if you live in Northern California, specifically <laughs> in the Sacramento area. There's a scene where Lady Bird is talking to her new friend, who is kind of this, like, snotty girl. And she says, oh, well, just come over. I live in Granite Bay. And that's a line that gets so many laughs because, you know, if you're a Sacramento native, you know everything that that line, that location specifically, says about that character. And that's something that I can't remember the last time a movie has made geographical humor that's not really broad. Like, you know, like Crocodile Dundee, oh, look at Australia, it's all of this. She really looks at the smaller elements of of living in a location and how, you know, class and, and all of that plays um, just by hearing, you know, where someone lives. Yeah, I have to admit, I've only been to Sacramento a couple of times. You're not missing much. <laughs> I want to bring up how the characters in this movie one of the reasons they fascinated me a lot was because of how complicated they were. They weren't stereotypes. They weren't one-dimensional. And I'd say that especially about the mom character. Kristen, you kind of alluded to the realness of this movie when it comes to the mother character. And, you know, it just that one scene, there, there, it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it moment. But uh, Shursa's character and her mother are in a dressing room and they're trying on different prom dresses. And... You'll if you pay close attention, you'll see like the mom points out like, oh, maybe you should try this dress instead of uh, you know this the one that Shersha really likes, um, and then Shersha takes it as like, oh, you don't think I'm pretty, but you can see like a sign on the inside of the door that says that the the dress of that color is like uh, cheaper basically, and that 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 hit me because I was oh yeah the the mom and the daughter aren't understanding each other because the mother is you know looking out for the family financially and she doesn't hate lady bird they just they just have this frustration that uh just felt so true to me yeah i i i told Greta Gerwig that i did not give her permission to document the life of me and my mother because that that's kind of what it is lori metcalf is is fantastic this is a movie that I would love to say would get her an Oscar nomination, but it's such a stacked year for women in film that I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I'm still hoping for it, though. But, you know, being a, a growing up as a teen girl and having a mother, uh, I can say that, like, everybody's had those arguments. Um, you know, you bring up the, the scene where she says, you know, why can't you just say I look nice? I am almost 30 years old and I can still have that discussion with my mom. Yeah, it still happens. Um, or there's a, a really funny scene where they're talking about making eggs and, and Lady Bird is like, you know, they're not done. If you just let me cook them. And her mom says, you know, well, that's because you don't do them right and you make a mess and it's just easier for me to do it. I mean, those are things that I, I've had that argument with my mom all the time and those those unintentionally hurtful things, you know, the passive aggressive needling that, that can go on where it's just, you know, to the outsider or I would not to disparage your, your gender guys, but to men, they're going to be like, this is just showing women are crazy. Um, you know, just showing how like one line can be internalized by somebody and, and totally go about the wrong way. And it culminates with 
you know, you, you feel, I, I think when Edge of 17, it's great that you brought that up. Cause that's a movie that I really loved last year, but you notice that you have a hard time feeling for both characters in equal measure because Haley Steinfeld's character, though she's funny is often very, very selfish and mean. And, her catharsis doesn't feel as genuine. Whereas in here, I understand what Laurie Metcalf's character is going through because I know my own mother. But at the same time, I also know what Lady Bird's character is going through because you understand both of their motivations. These aren't bad people. They just are human and they say stupid things and they do stupid things that can be hurtful you know it's it's like her friends are not necessarily rude they're just really snooty or I, I keep going back to Kyle but you know his character is really really pretentious and kind of stupid but at the same time like that's what he believes cool to be and like making your own decisions and being an individual um so so I love how each of those characters you you have empathy for them, um, you know, which is very hard to see in a film um, sometimes. Right, as in like they show the characters as flawed, which makes them interesting without demonizing them, and yeah. it's really tricky. I think the bottom line, I think, is that Greta Gerwig is a really good filmmaker. I, she is I'm a master. So <laughs> happy with how good she is. Like the first time, like this is like her movie. And uh, what what, a, what an accomplishment right out the gate. But uh, all right, so let's get into our final thoughts and let's grade this thing. Uh, starting with you, Will Ashen, final thoughts and grade for Lady Bird. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else I can say that hasn't already been said. This is a great film. And also, I mean, one thing I did want to bring up is that also in addition to the film being so uh, authentic and realistic, one of the reasons I think the film feels so authentic, like going off to that conversation about the mother is that like one moment they'll be, you know, crying together. Next, they'll just be, you know, one will say something and they'll get an argument and then like media, they'll just go right back. And it's not like in some movies where it's just like, oh, this is a really dramatic scene or like, here's the funny scene. It's like it, it's such a flux of emotions at one time that it does lend itself to feeling more authentic because that's just how life is. It's just not yeah. like cut and paste so neat. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's this is a movie that if it's on your radar, please check it out. I mean, I'm really bummed to hear that Maverick didn't care for it. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are really going to feel for this movie. I think it's going to ring true for them. And I am excited just to, for more people to check it out. And I'm really excited to see what else Greg Gerwig does behind the camera. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, an A-. minus. And what about you, Kristen? I love this movie so much. I love everything about it. Um, I, if you had told me at the end, at the beginning of this year, that this would be my number one, I probably wouldn't have believed you because I had very preconceived notions that another movie would be my number one. And oddly enough, that movie that I thought was going to be my number one is my number like two. Um, but I, I love this movie so much. I love everything about it. Cast, crew, uh, filmmaker, uh, script music i just i love it it gets an a a plus for me thanks awesome yeah i'm really just echoing a lot of what you both have said uh something we didn't mention enough i think is that this is such a funny movie i, I was laughing hysterically throughout it's a strong script sure sure ronan proving she's one of our best actresses working today it's greta gerwig coming out and saying she's going to be one of our best directors and yeah, honestly, I I can't even think of a single negative thing to say about this movie. So uh, for me, it's an A as well. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to just say real quick. I think the other movie you're talking about in Sacramento, was it Other People? Yes, that's the one. Okay. I haven't oh, seen it, but boy. I heard good things. That, that movie was awful. <laughs> was it bad? Uh, I heard it was actually kind of good. What, uh, what didn't you like about it? Uh, I saw it so long ago. I remember just being bored. It was really long. That's that Jet Apatow, right? Mm, was it? I think it was a. Uh, Jesse funny. Clemens was in it with Molly Shannon. Oh, you know I probably have them confused. Don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking. about. Are you about. thinking of Funny People? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into our other featured review this week: Murder on the Orient Express is of course based on the well-known mystery novel of the same name by agatha christie and featuring the belgian detective uh, hercule Poirot. there have been quite a few other adaptations of the source material before probably most famously is the 1974 movie with sean connery and ingrid berman and albert finney and it's interesting because i think a lot of people are going to be going into this one already knowing the outcome of this whodunit this classic whodunit 
I've seen the 74 movie and I've read the book. Uh, have you guys watched any of the adaptations? Yeah, I, I went into this one completely cold. I have not read the book. I haven't seen any of the miniseries or movies. So that said, <laughs> I didn't think it was that hard to figure out who did it. But at the that's not for lack of trying on Kenneth Branagh's part. We'll get into that for a moment. Yes. So to start things off, our resident film critic, Matt Donato, we got this covered.com, gave the movie a middling score. That's a two and a half stars out of five. He said that this was an antique mystery and he had a lot of criticisms about it. Be sure to read his review because it is it is chock full of awesome train puns. You'll definitely enjoy it. So this movie is coming to us from 20th Century Fox. Uh, it was uh, directed by Kenneth Brennick, who stars in the movie, of course, as Hercule Poirot. The movie also stars just a it's a star-studded cast. Uh, Johnny Depp, Daisy Ridley, Michelle Pfeiffer, Judy Dench, Penelope Cruz, Josh Gad, Leslie Odom Jr., Willem Dafoe, Derek Jacobi, Lucy Boynton, Olivia Coleman, Tom Bateman, Sergei Palunin, and uh, quite a few others. Uh, it, it, it really is an impressive cast. This is a simple story about a train that is going from Istanbul to some location in Europe that escapes me, and uh, there is a murder on the train after it gets derailed in the snowy, I think they're kind of like the Swiss Alps, and Hercule Poirot has to figure out which passenger on the train committed the heinous murder. So starting with you again, Kristen Lopez. Uh, what did you think of Murder on the Orient Express? It's a movie that takes place in the 30s, and it has a high standard to live up to, right? With the 1974 version and uh, a very procedural novel as its source material. What did you think? <sighs> so I think my train pun for my review was it barely makes it into the station. Um, <laughs> I, I thought this was fine. I didn't... I had expectations. I'd heard really bad things that it was terrible. So I expected a train wreck. You know, it's evident that Kenneth Branagh's trying to make this. It, it's a very sumptuous, luxurious film. The set design and the costuming and the CGI backgrounds are all very beautiful to look at. It's a very, very beautifully filmed movie. That being said, I feel like it doesn't translate from the written material because so much of the movie feels like if I was reading it, it would be a lot more interesting because yeah. it's this kind of call and repeat of he isolates one character and then he interviews them and then he finds another character and then he interviews them and then maybe something will happen, like a murder will try to take place. Um, but it's really just like playing a game of Clue only played out on the big screen um, so I didn't find it particularly suspenseful. You know, the powers of deduction that he has, there comes a, a moment where things are revealed. And I was like, if you're, if your definition of a, a mystery is you want to be able to play alongside the detective and try to solve it, it doesn't really come off here because it seems like he gives us a lot of information that we didn't know, um, where you're just like, kind of wondering how he knew that. Um, and, and the biggest waste for me was that cast that cast is just stacked with people and they get maybe one good scene and then that's wow. it so like leslie odom jr has one really great moment um where he could have injected a hamilton joke of all things i was very upset that there was not an aaron burser joke in there um you know daisy ridley they try very hard to maybe make her second lead a little bit and it doesn't really work Michelle Pfeiffer continues to do great work in movies that I don't care for. Um, you know, there's there's so many great people in this movie, um, with the exception of Johnny Depp, who is a terrible person, um, who I was very happy is not in this movie for as long as I wanted. Um, you know, it, it, it makes me realize why the BBC has been doing these Agatha Christie miniseries. It really lends itself more to being something you can parcel out and really devote the time to background um, as opposed to just kind of cloistering everybody and parceling them out one at a time. There are so many scenes where the camera will just track up and down these actors' faces. Um, I felt, I said that, you know, the movie feels like it's a, a series of poses more than anything. Um, so I thought it was okay. It's definitely not a hard sit um, you know, it moves about as quickly as you would expect, but I doubt that you're going to remember it 
next week. You know, it's just not a movie that that lends itself to being anything that you're going to really lose your mind over. Yeah, you're right. I think one of the movie's only saving graces probably is how short it is, because I don't know if I would have been able to last another 20 minutes or so. Uh, What about you, Will Ashton? I want to quote Alonzo Gerald from The Wrap, who, uh, in terms of this movie's CGI quality, he said it felt more like, not the Orient Express, but rather the Polar Express. Yeah, I was going to say that. There was like at least one or two shots where like it just did not look finished and it reminded me of the, the avalanche yeah. especially oh, uh yeah overall well ashton what did you think of murder on the orient express yeah i mean i'm kind of on the same page with Kristen. um i don't think there's anything about this film that really lives up to its full potential it's really just kind of there in the scheme of things but at the same time i mean i found it perfectly decent i think it's nothing that really is a must-see but at the same time, it looked pretty. I loved all the costumes. I was engaged with the characters. And maybe it's just me like not uh, having full familiarity with the story. But uh, I just I was engaged throughout. I didn't necessarily feel like I was bored or wasting my time. Uh, I think it is a shame, like you were saying, that we don't really get like these. these this ensemble who is obviously very prov- proven and um, exceptional to really get the time to shine together, you know, they're often kind of doing their own thing. And also, I mean, really, I mean, just knowing what little I know from the source material, it seems like the train and the book just keeps moving, right? It never stops. I don't remember if that's true for the 74 movie or for the novel. Uh, It just felt like maybe because there's been so many adaptations, but I felt like they kept trying to add stakes to the film that I understand why they were doing that. So that people wouldn't feel bored, but at the same time, I feel like adding a bunch of things like that, like, chase scene with josh gad or like a couple other things where it just felt like they're just stretching the plot out in a way that killed the suspense more than added to it uh but at the same time i mean i think everything about this movie is so heightened and dram- dramatized that i think i don't know it it, it kind of makes sense its own in its little way like how kenneth Branagh's mustache is i'm assuming not that pronounced in the book but at the same time, it just kind of is a visual representation for what this film is going for. Uh, it's just such a weird whiskered weasel that I just, I don't know. I was, I think I was half entertained throughout the movie just watching his mustache and just trying to figure out how long they took to like put it on his face and just like. How long it would take you to grow said mustache? The same oh, well, that obviously, yeah. I mean, I think about that all the time. It's been <laughs> on my mind since I saw this movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. Ultimately, like we said, I think it's just a pleasant diversion, but nothing, uh, you know, necessary. It's just decent, fine. Yeah, and you know, it's still a quirky movie. It, it's got some, uh, it's got some interesting thing, things going on. Some interesting camera angles and cinematography that uh, definitely not uh, easy to miss. So many like glistening mirror shots in this movie. Yeah, some weird close-ups, especially if it was Kenneth Branagh's character. Especially yeah. I will say, I, I went into this movie not knowing what to expect at all. I'd heard mixed things, some positive, some negative, uh, from lots of different people with different takes on the source material. I honestly think that the movie, uh, you know, it's not a train pun, but I think when the, mo- the train is moving, that's when the movie is good. But when the train loses steam, that's when the movie does as well. I honestly think that's why the first third and the final third are just the best best parts of the movie, in my opinion. And uh, even more so the first third. The first third is my favorite part of the movie. I, I thought it was the most interesting, the way that they established the characters, especially Poirot, to show you how smart he is. And that's where I found the movie its most stylistic. And that's where I f- thought it had the most personality. But as soon as the mystery kicked in, man, I was so bored. I could barely sit through it. There was something so procedural about it that just the life was completely sucked out as soon as the murder happened, which, you know, obvious metaphor. For example, like the first part of the movie, one of my favorite things that happened was when they introduced the uh, the surgeon character and he's like this dancer and uh, he like beats somebody up for no reason. And the Valentino-esque type of character 
And uh, so he beats up a bunch of people and then the Lucy Boynton character like walks up to him and like everything slows down and they look at each other longingly. And this is just like an introduction to the character. And I just, I was like, oh man, I really hope this is the movie we're about to watch. Unfortunately, that was not the movie we were about to watch. But yeah, as soon as the plot kicks in, uh, I think to what you were saying, Kristen, one of the problems is that when you have like a longer movie or even like in the novel, you have more time to like soak in the details. And I just, I had a hard time even just staying awake because the mystery just wasn't that interesting to me. There was so much going on with it and there was so many, I didn't have time to let it sink in. But to what you were saying, well, the mystery was kind of easy to figure out. So yeah, you lose that like drive to keep going. Speaking of which, you know, there are a lot of characters. I think it's pretty easy to see that not all of them get their due, but uh, I was actually kind of interested in what they did with the Josh Gad character. What, What did you guys think of Josh Gad in this movie? Oh, I was going to say, Josh Gad's, you know, like like the rest of the cast, he's good, you know, but he's not, and none of the cast is particularly revelatory because they don't have a lot to do. And he seems like he has, he goes from being this major player, like, you know, he might be involved, to being really relegated to the background. So, you know, this movie's just a hair under two hours. And for the first hour, he seems like they're poised, you know, they're posing him to do something of importance. And then the other hour, he's just one of the many background guys. Um, This is a movie that, keep in mind, keeps introducing characters up until about an hour in. Um, Certain characters are named. And I was like, who the hell are they talking about? I don't know who that character is. Um, So Josh Gad, much like a lot of the other big names, is memorable because of his face. And you know who that character is. But, I mean, I thought I thought that they were going to do something with that character. And then he just really fades into the background. It's sad because I think a lot of the characters in this movie, especially like Willem Dafoe, just totally fade into the background. Yeah, certain, certain actors are just like present and accounted for. Like Olivia Coleman is just there and she barely has any lines. And I was like, that's a waste, um, yeah, especially since she's going to be... He's going to be on the crown. Um, the the one character that my friend and I kept kind of laughing over because somehow he ends up being more memorable, maybe just to us because we we we've talked about it so much. Is like Marwan Kanzari plays like the porter, quasi conductor type guy. We call him in my house Sexy Jafar because he's going to be in the uh, <laughs> the Aladdin uh, movie that Guy Ritchie's doing, and like he seems to be a bigger character in this film purely because he stands out more. Um, I mean, that's the weird, the weirdest thing about this movie is how actors are utilized here. I, I wonder if, because uh, I agree, I wonder if the movie would have been served better if they had sort of limited the big names they put in the movie, like if it had just been a few really recognizable people instead of like 12. Well, the original, the 74 version was known for how star-studded it was, too. That's probably what they were going for. Uh, In terms of the movie's marketing, did you guys... I I thought it was so weird how they marketed this movie, starting with just, like, the Imagine Dragons song. That's the biggest criticism I have for this movie. (laughs) It's that I was waiting. I waited. I, I kept... I, it was actually like a running gag I kept whispering to my friend while we were in the screening for this is I was like, he would do something. Cause there's a lot of moments again, I, where I say it feels posed. We're like, Brandon will look at the camera. And I said like, cut to black, cue imagine dragons. Like I was waiting for that song to just like start blaring and it never happened. Um, so false advertising guys, there are no dragons imaginary or otherwise in this movie. Um, but but that's the weird thing about this film is you're not really sure who they're going for audience wise. So like Imagine Dragons makes me think they want millennials and like, you know, 18 to 25. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know who likes it. I find Imagine Dragons to be annoying, so I can't even tell you that I'm a fan. Uh, but then, you know, people who are older who remember the 74 version are probably going to think that this is a weaker version by comparison. I I just, I don't know who they're hoping to get with this. It's not, it's too thin to be a prestige picture and Fox is not campaigning this on their FYC website. So I don't know who they think they're going to (laughs) get. Well, first with the Imagine Dragon thing, I think that was purely just a studio just being like, 
we gotta get the kids put some imagine dragons in there but i do like uh there was a tweet uh, i think when that trailer came out where it was just like kenneth brana's in the editing bay for the trailer and the editor turns around and is like uh what song do you want to put for the trailer and then imagine dragon plays in the hallways like what's that song uh, I imagine that's what it was like when. Yeah, clearly they heard the song at the like studio lot gift shop, and that was that. I- I'm assuming their options were like Imagine Dragons, Believer, Madonna's the pr- you know uh, like a prayer, and uh, you know something else. They're like, we need some sort of like quasi religious song that we can be like. Yeah, because it's about Paro believing somebody like and they were like, what's what's like in the hot 100 right now? Well, <laughs> these guys, say, again, it's that hello fellow kids meme. Yeah, I will say if they did play I'm a Believer by Smash Mouth, money on the <laughs> table. <laughs> <laughs> I would have preferred if they got with the monkeys like that would have been like, yeah, we're yeah. trying to like actually do something here. Well, uh, you know, there's no indication yet whether or not this film's going to be successful but they are talking about doing another one of these movies you know an agatha christie hercule Poirot cinematic universe or something like that and uh i'm starting to wonder you know kenneth brown said he would only do it if the movie was financially successful and i just i wonder if that's going to happen yeah i mean i will say that personally i will see another film if he makes another one i mean i think i like the character enough i like his interpretation of it that I wouldn't mind seeing a second film, but it's not like, oh my god, you got to make another, uh, you know, Hercules. How do you pronounce his name? Hercules uh, Perot. There you go. Um, yeah, I I don't think there's gonna be much clamoring for a second one, unfortunately. But I think, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like Kenneth Branagh really just is kind of like an old school like filmmaker actor in some ways. Like he has like kind of like renaissance mentality where he you know stars in his movies and he directs them and he really puts himself in the forefront of all these and i like that he does do these kind of older classic stories as well as you know like thor and all this stuff but um i don't know i just like i i guess it just feels weird that like they are making this film in 2017 like of all like the properties they could tackle and stuff it just i wouldn't say it's tone deaf but just feels it's odd. I'm guessing the only I'm I don't know if this is true, but I was wondering if maybe the Hateful Eight was what helped put this movie into production. Yeah, I mean Hateful Eight, I don't know if that was a huge financial success as much as I loved it. Yeah, it was like a critical success, and I was wondering if that's maybe what inspired, you know, uh Twentieth Century Fox to be like, Well, we could we could tackle this one. We, we have the rights. A big budget version of this. Right. Yeah. Um I will say though, with the casting, uh part of me, I mean, if they did have like maybe like just Josh Gad and Daisy Ridley and a bunch of unknowns. I think there's a part of me that wonders if like instantly audiences would be like, Oh, that's so-and-so, but at the same time, maybe that would play to its advantage without getting the spoilers. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's like a give or take. I think having a bunch of stars does kind of make it more mysterious. Like, Oh, it could be any yeah, like, of these people. Say, well, you know, I wonder if, you know, maybe this isn't fair to say, but I had the suspicion while watching the movie, I was wondering you know, if they'd had a different director, somebody who wasn't also starring in it, I wonder if it would have been a little bit more cohesive between all the characters, because it's just a little obvious to me that Kenneth Branagh directs the movie, and he's like the star of the movie, uh, and takes precedence over all these characters. Again, I don't know if that's fair. I mean, Uh, Branagh's Branagh's worked with a a star-studded cast before. I mean, if you look at his interpretation of Hamlet, um, which is, you know, a stacked three hour like opus. And that's interesting. I mean, again, it's a beautifully shot film, but I also say, I also wonder, didn't Branagh write, I think Branagh wrote that script himself. I could be wrong. Um, but you know, the script here, um, it's just not particularly good. Which we should point out is really strange because it's by Michael Green, who has written some of the best scripts of this past year. Uh, Logan, Blade Runner 2049. It's really weird that this one's so weak. Right. And, and those are two Those are two movies that have very minimal cast members yeah. and have very clear-cut stories. And you're also, you know, working in very specific genres, too. So I, I wonder if this movie, the combination of the fact that it is an older movie or an older novel that had to be changed for, you know, the natures of 2017. So like there, I know that they said the, the Mary character, the Daisy Ridley character has been significantly reworked to be less like 
in line with when it was published, when women were not like as, as, uh, uh, you know, have as much agency as they have now. Um, you know, there's a there's a racial component included in this movie um, that doesn't go anywhere. It's not suburbicon level bad, but it's it's really just unnecessary um, if they're not going to do anything with it. So yeah, I was conflicted on how I felt about the racial component for basically those same reasons. Yeah, little things like that. I think the fact that you have so many cast members that all need to, I'm sure everybody signed a contract saying they were going to have a certain amount of time. So I, I don't really think any anything other than a better script would have saved this. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, uh, yeah, you're going to say something, Will? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I don't really want to put too much blame on the screenwriter only because I imagine his job was very difficult in the sense that like, he you know, had all these characters to deal with, but also he had like probably thousands of studio demands. They're like, oh, you got Boyster, Daisy Ridley's character, you know, make her, cause he's a big star. And also Josh Gad's character, cause he's a big star, but also, you know, make sure that you give all these people time. And, you know, Kenneth Branagh wants Hercules to be in the scene more and stuff. So I imagine he had a really difficult task, but at the same time, yeah, it just, it, it's not the best adaptation we could give this material. It's not the definitive version by any means. Yeah, I think we're all pretty closely in agreement here. What an episode of Cinemaholics. Um, but yeah, winding down, I mean, there are a few nice things uh, we haven't said yet. I mean, I, I did like that, for one thing, this movie shot on 65 millimeter, which we've said, you know, look, and you know, the movie has some nice touches here and there. There's, uh, I, I thought it was interesting, kind of funny, really, uh, that Poirot has that picture frame of his like lost love and that's like a younger, ver- that's a younger Emma Thompson. Oh, is it? Younger? Yeah, yeah. His ex-wife, right? Yeah, it was a yeah a nice thing to include. Maybe vaguely weird. I'm not really sure why he would do something like that. But you know what? Maybe they're good friends, and I just don't know that uh, even still. But yeah, so let's get into our final thoughts uh, and grades. Starting with you, Kristen. You know, it's possible you could see worse this year, um, but you can you can see far better. Lady Bird is a way better movie. Um, so this is this is a really pretty adaptation the cast is stacked but you're going to be frustrated at what could have been at, at how underutilized that cast is and how chintzy the cgi looks um so you know if, if you have a red box credit when it comes out you know it's worth a rental um or if you have movie pass and you don't have anything to do you know you could you could probably go see that um it gets a c a c plus for me awesome and uh what about you will ashton yeah, I think Movie Pass is probably the perfect way to go for this film. I mean, if you have like a parent or a grandparent who really wants to see this movie and you want to spend time with them, I think this is a perfectly enjoyable time with the movies. Like I said, there are a lot of things that are really good in this film. I think, you know, we haven't mentioned the costuming, which is pretty great. Uh, the art direction of the train, I think, is good. There's also like a tracking shot. That's like, I think about like five minutes long where it just shows all the characters and the train. That's really good. That's probably like the highlight of the movie, at least one for me. Last, one of the last good scenes. Right? Well, it was like at the beginning, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, I get what you mean. Now. I get what you mean, though. Um, yeah, I mean, that like there's like stuff like that where it's like you can tell this is a, a lot like there are a lot of talented people that are involved in this film and they're, they're not making a bad film. But yeah, I mean, it just doesn't really live up to its full potential. It's less underwhelming and more just kind of there like it's perfectly decent so uh i'll give it a little higher i'll give it a b minus i think i enjoyed it i i wouldn't necessarily see it again but i think if you are interested in seeing it you won't be too disappointed based on what uh will ashton has told me about daddy's home too this is the one to pick yes 100 um, percent. hey let's be fair cinemaholics uh what this movie does for the six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon is uh, an achievement on its own. Oh boy, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where my head went. I had I had to think about yeah, something yeah. during this movie. Oh, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Will, and not far from you, uh, Kristen. I'm I'm a B minus as well. We're basically on the same page with this one. It's not a very uh, polarizing movie, I guess. I think I think this is perfectly acceptable for just a breezy matinee kind of flick, and uh, you know we didn't even mention it, but I did really enjoy like one part of the final act. You know, there's this part where the piano swells up, and it's uh, it's kind of a disturbing scene actually. But I had like a bit of an experience with it. Like it's that's actually the scene that like jolted me to be like, okay, time to start paying attention to this movie again, and uh, it was kind of beautiful in its own way. All right, well, that'll do it for our review of Murder on the Orient Express, as well as this episode of Cinemaholics. 
Uh, thank you so much again, Chris and Lopez, for coming on the show to chat about these uh, these movies with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me anytime. It was, it was great. It was great to have you on here. And uh, don't forget, guys, follow her Twitter. Uh, she's uh, tweet, live tweeting AFI, and I, I hope AFI goes well from here on out. It should be pretty awesome. So it's only been, it's been high for, for now. So I'm hoping, hope it stays that way. All right. Well, that'll do it then for us here on Cinemaholics. Thank you so much as always for listening to the show. And uh, don't forget, if you want to become a Cinemaholic, uh, well, first of all, send us your feedback, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a reading, a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, actually, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, all of those things uh, if you want the show to continue. And if you want to uh, you know, join the Cinemaholics community, our Facebook page, uh, Cinemaholics, is uh, live and we're on there chatting and we're just having a good old time on that page. Uh, so come on by and check it out. Uh, or just follow us on Twitter, Cinemaholics Podcast, we're everywhere. You can't miss us. Uh, but yeah, that'll do it then for this episode. From the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. For Kristen Lopez from the Internet AFI Fest and uh, Maverick Hines from the Internet Who Cares Where He Is Right Now. See you next time. <laughs>